Wow, what a privilege to worship with you, Woods Edge. Uh, if, if we've not had a chance to meet, my name is Jeremiah Morris, a friend of Jeff Wells and an occasional Woods Edge preacher. It's good to be here to open the scriptures with you this morning. My intention today as we open the scriptures is to discuss friendship, to talk about friendship, uh, specifically this idea of friendship love and the way that it's cultivated or broken by our words. Friendship, it has been argued, is, is one of the the loves that is most easily left behind. That we are a people that are fascinated by romance, we're a people that are committed to our families, but when we think about the way that we prioritize friendship and the way the way we cultivate deep and abiding relationship with those that are, we're not romantically connected to or familially connected to, but we're just thinking about how are we building relationships beyond those fears? There's a lot that the scriptures have to say about it and oftentimes, even though this is incredibly important, it is neglected in the way that we order our time and energy and our words. And so today what I'd like for us to do, what I'd invite you into with me is this. We're gonna survey some of the ancient wisdom literature in the scriptures. We're gonna study the Proverbs together asking this ancient wisdom what sort of words ought we to speak? What sort of, what sort of words ought we to, to inject into our relationships that will cultivate and build healthy friendships in our lives? And in order to study the Proverbs, in some ways studying the Proverbs is kind of like going to the laundromat and watching your clothes bounce around in a washing machine. Because the Proverbs, they're written cyclically. The, the author of the Proverbs, Solomon, and the other, author, other authors later in the chapters will introduce a theme that will kind of pass by. It's like you see this article of clothing go by, and then it will be gone for a little while, and then it'll reemerge. And as you pay attention to this cyclical treatment of different thematic elements in the Proverbs, if you draw out each one of those moments and you start paying attention to it, you will see the way that wisdom is speaking into modern realities. So this morning... We're gonna situate ourselves in front of the Proverbs and we're gonna watch as what emerges throughout the chapters is, is teaching, is instruction about how our words can make or break relationships. And if you hear anything today, what I'm, what I'm hoping and praying that we together as a community hear is this, heartless words tear at the fabric of relationships but we are called to be people that speak words full of heart, full and brimming over with heart. And the way that the Old Testament talks about our heart, the heart is like the centerpiece of the person. It's what gives us gravitas. It's what gives us center. It's what gives us authority. And it is this combination of will and emotion and intellect. It is what's forged in the secret places when no one is watching. When we speak with the fullness of heart, we will make beautiful, full relationships. And so what I'd like for us to do is explore the Proverbs and we're gonna see both what heartless words sound like and what they do, and then we're gonna see what words full of heart sound like and what they do in the world. So with that being said, I wanna direct our attention to the book of Proverbs, several of these that emerge throughout the chapters. And just before we read these verses, permit me to remind you what the prophet Isaiah says about the scriptures. He says that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. That means today that there's a lot of things that will beckon for our attention and our focus. They will invite you to build your life on them. 
things in the world. But the truth is, everything in the physical world is, will move towards withering, rotting, dying. It cannot sustain the weight of your life. But the word of God is eternal and life-giving and powerful. And we, as a people, would be really wise to pay attention. Starting in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 28. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Chapter 11 and verse 9. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. But by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. Chapter 11 and verse 12. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Chapter 17 and verse 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Chapter 22 and verse 11. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. And finally, chapter 25 and verse 18. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. Can you feel it? It's like we're sitting in front of the washing machine. We've seen the, the proverbial wisdom dealing with the way that our language interacts with relationship. We see it emerge and reemerge and reemerge. And now together, let's see if we can make sense of these Proverbs together. And we're gonna do so by first asking, what do heartless words sound like? What do they do in the world? The first thing that heartless words do is that they belittle people. They make them small. They shrink them down and despise them so that they can be manipulated for our purposes. Did you hear it in those Proverbs? Let me redirect our attention to two that we just heard read. From chapter 11 and verse 12, it says this, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. In the Hebrew, that word for lacks sense, it, it literally is lacks a heart, is void of heart. So this is where we get the idea of heartless words. So whoever belittles his neighbor is speaking without a heart, but a man of understanding will remain silent. And then in chapter three and verse 28, we get a picture of what this looks like. It says, don't say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do you hear that? Chapter 328 is a, that's a power play. Someone comes and says, hey, I really need your help with this. And you say, go, come back tomorrow and then I might be able to help you, even though in that moment you could do it right now. The reason that that is very similar to the other Proverbs because the reality is that you're treating someone like something that is small to be manipulated and managed, not as a true and whole person to be dealt with with respect, to be treated with dignity. If we're not careful, we will be the sorts of people that speak heartless words that shrink people down. Martin Buber was a, a theologian and philosopher from Austria that he made this fairly famous distinction between, between an I-it and an I-thou. He said, we will oftentimes work into relationships with people where we begin to treat them like an it. What he means is, we are the sorts of people that like to simplify things, including the people around us, and so we will paint them into a caricature of themselves. Based off of their race, or maybe their political party, 
or maybe their socioeconomic class, and we will say, oh, you're that kind of person. And then we will expect them to fulfill every kind of stereotype and cliche that we carry in our minds about that sort of it, a Democrat, a Republican, uh, from this neighborhood, grew up in this way, you're this kind of person. And into that place, what we can do if we're not careful is we can shrink people down and create them into this little pocket-sized thing that will never surprise us, will never break out of their category. They just become something small to be manipulated and managed. And we in that space speak heartless words. We begin to, to invite people to revolve around us. This sounds lots of different ways. It can sound like gossip, can sound like mockery, it can, sound, uh, it can sound like underhanded speech or sarcasm. I'll tell you what it usually sounds like for me, the place where I'm typically guilty of this sort of belittling speech. As someone will come and ask me to an event, they'll say, hey, can you come by or will you come and participate in this thing? And in that moment, because I want them to think that I am omnipresent and I can do all things for all people, I will smile and say, you know what? I'm gonna do my best to come by. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, there's no way I'm gonna show up to that thing. <laughs> do you know why I do that? I'm treating them as, a, as an it, that I'm inviting them to play this kind of, this game with me that makes me feel better about myself rather than treating them with enough dignity and respect to say, you know what, thanks for the invite, but I cannot make it there. Because in saying that, now I feel a little bit exposed. I feel like I'm having to deal with a real person. I'm having to be a real person. Quite frankly, we are the sorts of people that can just send out so many heartless words into the world because we're trying to maintain a certain view of ourselves while belittling and, and, uh, and uh, shrinking down the people around us. We can very easily slip into an I-it rather than an I-thou, treating people with respect and dignity. And it's not just that. When we begin to do that, that sort of language will break relationships. Did you hear it in the scriptures? In 17 verse nine, it says this, whoever covers an offense seeks love. But then hear the second part. He who repeats a matter separates close friends. A matter repeated. This is the idea that someone has done something to either wound you or they've been involved in something that was like embarrassing or maybe they did something they never should have done and you've heard about it. It says that if you cover an offense, you seek love. If you cover over someone else's embarrassment, that is a loving thing to do. Where your silence is going to spell the burying of embarrassment. Love would demand of you to stay silent. Yet, the Proverbs tell us that gossip is like a sweet morsel. It's tasty. And so oftentimes we want to be the sort of people that are doling out sweet morsels because those around us go, oh, that's delicious. Give me more of that. The struggle is it's kind of that sweet morsel. It's kind of like the big slice of chocolate cake at 11 p.m. It's a sweet morsel, but it's going to stick to you tomorrow. That's, that's the way gossip works. It's a sweet morsel. It's delicious on the lips, but it's going to gum up my insides. And so we're in this invitation where the scriptures are saying to us, don't speak these heartless words because they actually separate close, close friends. The other way that the scripture said it was in 25 verse 18, a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. Now the Proverbs are written in such a way where they invite you to slow down 
and to just kind of soak in the flavor of it? We should be asking the question, why would he describe slander as a war club and a sword and a sharp arrow? Why? Why these three different weapons? The idea is that your slander, when you or I speak negatively about someone that's not present, it's all out war. He says it's, it's kind of like it's hand-to-hand, like a war club or a sword, or it's an arrow from a great distance. But just know this, on every level, you will do harm if you're a slanderous person. Your heartless words will destroy relationship. And so we, as we wrestle with these Proverbs, we're invited into this space. I realize that over the years, I have been a notorious offender in these ways. The immaturity in my life when I, when I first became a Christian was this immaturity that said, well, I'm just telling the truth. I thought I could smuggle in all matter of negative chatter about other people under this guise of, well, I'm just telling the truth. I'm just, I'm just retelling exactly what happened. But what I realized was I was not actively considering the way that my words were affecting the people around me. And just because it's true doesn't mean that it needs to be repeated because actually it's love that covers the offense. You see, our words, they belittle, they break relationships. And then it even told us in chapter 11 and verse nine that with his mouth, the godless man will destroy his neighbor. We don't just belittle, we don't just break relationships, but our words cause decay and ruin in the lives of other people. When you seed your relationships with these sorts of words, the people around you will feel very unsafe. They will feel as though they have been defeated or used. They will feel like they don't have value because of the way that they have been spoken to and spoken about. We must be the sort of people that pay attention to our relational wake you know, my wife lives, uh, grew up on a lake outside of Kansas City and her dad and brother still live there. And in the summer, we take our boys out to, to see them. And so they've been learning how to wakeboard. My, boys are, my older boys are eight and six. And so this summer, they were learning how to wakeboard. And uh, I'm not a boat guy. I'm new to this whole thing. But as I was riding on the boat with my father-in-law, my brother-in-law, watching them as they're teaching my boys how to wakeboard, I realized how important it is for the driver to keep his eye on the rear view mirror. Because as a boat, you're creating this big wake and there's someone kind of dragging along behind you back there. And if you hit a certain bump or there's a wave and all of a sudden, my little eight-year-old may be head down in the water with his feet bobbing. And if you're not paying attention to the rear view, you can leave somebody in a really difficult position. Our relationships and our words are that way. If you don't pay attention to your relational wake, you may just leave someone bobbing in the water trying to figure out what just happened. And so before we turn the corner and we talk about what words full of heart sound like, can I just ask you to take some inventory of your relationships? Would you check the rear view for just a moment and ask the question, where are there people that have just been wounded by heartless words? Things that you should have never said, either to them or about them. And what would it look like for you to take responsibility for that, to repent, to go confess to someone. It may be that you need to go say to someone, I need you to know that I've been saying some things about you. You may not even be aware of it, but I should have never said it and I need your forgiveness. You see words that are coming from a a place of a void of heart. 
they will rip apart relationship. And we have to be the sort of people that take responsibility for that, that repent of that. It may be that there's someone who lives in your home. It may be a spouse or a child who right now has been left in the wake of your words. And there's some work to be done. There's some repentance that needs to take place, some reconciliation. You see, heartless words will break relationship. But the Proverbs also have a great deal to say about what does it mean to speak words full of heart. So let's talk a little bit about what do words full of heart sound like and what do they do? Well, words full of heart interestingly start with silence. They start with the pause. Did you hear it in our Proverbs? Look back, 17 verse nine said this, whoever covers the offense seeks love but the one who repeats a matter separates close friends. So in the covering, what we've got is the opposite of repeating. So it means I'm not repeating it, I'm covering it. And then we also heard in chapter 11 and verse 12, which we've already read, but this is what we heard, right? Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but what did the second half say? But a man of understanding does what? Remains silent. Words full of heart start with silence being judicious and thoughtful about the words that we speak. Quite frankly, our words would bear a lot more fruit if there were just fewer of them. We just probably need to speak less. The Proverbs will say this to us over and over, that it's the wise man or woman that listens first. It's the wise man or woman that's praying about and thinking about their words so that by the time they're coming out, they've had a chance to fill up with power and beauty. It reminds me of taking my boys to a water park. Their favorite thing at a water park. Here's a picture just of uh, the of them anticipating their favorite thing at the water park. So this, you may not know what's happening here, but let me tell you about this picture. Those are my eight-year-old, six-year-old. They're standing under a big bucket that's over their head. And they're standing there and they're beginning to brace for impact. Their favorite thing to do at the water park is to go and to position themselves under this big bucket. And maybe you've seen this sort of thing. It very slowly fills up with water. And as it fills and fills and fills, you never know when it's gonna get to tipping point. When it gets full enough, unexpectedly, it dumps out. And their great excitement and anticipation, like many kids at these water parks, is just to stand and they start, they start kind of their shoulders go up and they've got this anticipation of, we don't know when the water's coming down over us. And in many ways, words full of heart operate like that because it's as the anticipation builds and the water finally dumps out that it runs down over the head and it delights the children. And this is the after effect, is the joy and the pleasure. If we would slow down enough to let our words fill up with heart, like when you have a friend that's walking through something difficult or a spouse that's trying to share something with you, you've got someone that you're working with at work and you're, you're paying attention to what's going on with them and as you're listening and you're watching them walk through life, you begin to pray and consider what's it like to be them? What would it, like to follow, what would it be like to obey Ephesians chapter four that says only speak words that are helpful for building others up? Only those sorts of words. And I'm praying and thinking, what would do beauty and power and introduce life into this person's story. And as I fill up and then finally pour out, it delights the people around us. 
The struggle is, you know, if, if we went to that same water park and the bucket didn't wait to be filled up, but every drop that hit it caused it to, to tip over, do you know that no kid would stand under it? There would be no line for that thing because they would look at it and it would just tip over in one drop and tip over in one drop and they go, well, that's just a constant annoying drip. And the struggle is that that's my words most of the time. Because I don't give them time to fill up, we can just be a constant annoying drip that's missing the opportunity to delight and refresh other people's souls. You see, it starts with the pause and then it's words dripping with favor. It's that bucket dumping out. The way that it got described in our text is in chapter 22, verse 11. It says, he who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. Isn't that an amazing statement? He will have the king as his friend. The idea is that the person who speaks like this, the best people in the land, the ones that are most full of character and that have the greatest position and authority, they're gonna say, I want to stay close to this person. They will have the king as a friend. What kind of words breed that sort of depth and beauty of relationship? Did you hear it? There were two things that words that are dripping with favor that have to have uh, in order to be these sorts of words. It says, the one who loves purity of heart and speaks gracious words. Both of those things are required. Because follow me, if you only have one, it won't delight the hearer. If you have great purity of heart, but your words are not dripping with graciousness and favor, do you know what that person is? That person's just critical and hard to deal with. The king's gonna say, I've got enough critics, please keep that one away from me. They've got a very pure heart, but their words are never gracious and they're always just speaking the truth and you've gotta deal with it and this is it. Many of us may be these sorts of people. We may be operating for purity of heart, but we haven't slowed long enough to let favor and graciousness fill our words. Or on the other end of the spectrum, it may be that we are really good at gracious speech, but we don't have a pure heart. And the danger is that is that person is a flatterer. They're just always gushing out kind things, but there's actually no content to it. It's not coming from a pure heart. And as a result, people will real quickly begin to recognize that and go, well, what's your angle? What are you trying to accomplish here? The king will say to that person, I'm not sure that I trust this one because they're just always gushing forth with kind things that I don't even know that they believe. No, no, no. The sort of words that will breed health to the bones. These are the sort of words that come from a pure heart where I'm watching you and paying attention and filling up. And then by the time I'm speaking, I'm speaking in gracious and life-giving ways. You see, if you operate that way in the world, it will be a blessing to every one of your relationships. To your acquaintances, those that you're just passing by, if you're operating in this way, they will experience kind of a, a great jolt of joy and encouragement from having just crossed your path. That's a good thing. But an even better thing still is that if you actually consider the three or four or five closest friends in your life and you pause and you pray for them and you consider them and you let your bucket fill up and then you go and you speak words to them, that is a marvelous thing because you see them and they know you see them. 
And when you speak words dripping with favor, what it will do is it will restore places in their soul that they didn't even know they needed restoration. Words full of heart build relationship beautifully. And so the invitation is to be these sorts of people, these sorts of people that speak words full of heart. But there's a final question that we have to deal with honestly. How do we do it? I don't know if you feel the sinking feeling that I do when I confront the scriptures in these ways, but there's this reality that I can't get to the heart. What comes naturally to me is being hasty with my words, trying to fix things, talking too much. That's what comes naturally to me. I'm drawn back towards gossip or towards slander. It kind of has a gravitational pull on my soul and I find myself saying things or doing things that I'm wondering after the fact, why are those the sorts of things coming out of my mouth? And there's this reality that we can say, oh, that sounds nice, speak words full of heart, but the reality is that what has to be unlocked goes beyond what can be seen or touched. So how do we become these sorts of people? The whole of the scriptures, Old Testament and New, exist to bring you and me to the foot of Jesus. And I've got good news for you today. That as Jesus stepped into the world, the word made flesh. That he embodied the perfect friend who speaks rightly. And what I'd like you to consider about his story is this. On the night that he was betrayed and as he was accused and moving towards the cross, he remained silent. He didn't speak, he didn't defend himself. He wasn't just a constant flow of words, he was silent. And the reason Jesus was silent in his moment of greatest need is his life was dangling in the balance because he was committed to covering an offense. Your offense and my offense. All of my heartless words that have been sent out into the world doing relational damage. I needed someone to pay the price for all the ways that I am broken. And he was silent so that he could cover an offense by his blood, by his death, by his payment. And then beautifully on the other side of an empty tomb, he speaks words full of favor and grace over you like just dumped out like a waterfall over your head. My beloved, in whom I delight, I've called you as my child into my family. You have been rescued and ransomed. And now he speaks these words of forgiveness and grace over your soul. It is his word, the truer and better friend who speaks over us that begins to melt our heart down, to set us free from all of these heartless words that we've been living in. And as he does, he, he sets us free to be the sort of men and women in the world that speak words full of heart because we have been ransomed, rescued, and reshaped by his word over us. The invitation is simple. Set your gaze on King Jesus, the dearest and the best friend. If you've never trusted him as your Lord and your Savior, know this. He's beckoning to you with a better word of your life. He wants to reshape your heart and set you free so that you can speak words full of heart into the world. And if you are walking with him today, would you pay attention to the places and the ways that you have been out of alignment with him with heartless words? Would you repent of that? Set your gaze on him and take steps towards being a man or a woman that speaks words full of heart. Amen? Let me pray for us.
Our Father, thank you. We thank you that your word is alive and active and sharp, sharper than any double-edged sword, that it divides bone and marrow. It cuts right down to our heart. And so I pray, God, that where you have been directing your word by your spirit to, to cut hearts, I pray, God, that you would also, by your spirit, come and mend and heal hearts and reshape us so that we would be people full of heart with words full of heart. Thank you, King Jesus. Thank you for paying the price for us and for speaking a gracious word over us today. We thank you that your cross and the empty tomb speaks a better word over us. We receive that today. We bless you. And we look forward to the ways that you will send us out to be these sorts of men and women, these sorts of friends that speak words full of heart. It's in your precious and your powerful name that we pray. Amen.